Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here in the podcast studios at Condé Nast with Lale Arikoglu, Sebastian Modak, Mark Elwood, and Laura Redman, all podcast regulars with whom you are no doubt familiar having listened to the entire back catalog. And we have a special guest today, Elliot Stein, who's not here by our usual Skype, but by phone. Remember that? Remember those? Say hi, Elliot. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Elliot is a writer for us, and he is currently a resident of Berlin, which is, oh, I always forget, my name is Brad Rickman, uh, <laughs> Hi, Brad. just in case you're wondering. And Elliot is a, currently a resident of Berlin, which is relevant because our topic of the week is going to be expat life. And so everybody at this table, I think, or everybody on this podcast, is either currently an expat or has been an expat or is married... <laughs> Is married to an you still count. Yeah, a little caveat in the end there. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't claim. And so we're going to talk about what that life is like, and um, some of the good things, some of the bad things, and hopefully some advice if we can get around to that. So first question I wanted to pose to the panel is: How do we define this? Like, what is the difference between an immigrant and an expat, a traveler? like even a long travel, because we talk about people who are on the road for a year or whatever, more. What are the differences between these types of people? Lale, I feel like you have opinions on this. I do. All right. Expat is a very problematic word. Why? Okay, why? I did not know that. Because only certain types of people get the privilege of being an expat, i.e. you have to be from certain countries and certain nationalities to oh, be an really expat. Or yeah. at least of certain socioeconomic status. Yeah. You're, or you're perceived, that's a really interesting, and that it's, a, I, I lazily use that term, and you're absolutely right, I'm baking in a lot of assumptions. Yeah, it's like so loaded, and for example, my dad is Turkish, moved to the UK as an architecture student, and then ended up staying I'd say that sounds like pretty much like an expat, but he, you know, people describe Turkish people in the UK as immigrants. Yeah. Oh. I think a good example of this is there's a list that's put out every year by HSBC called the Expat oh, Explorer we were, yeah, Survey. Yeah, this is the one we were talking about. Yeah, so it's very thorough. It, it's, you know, it surveys tens of thousands of people who consider themselves expats overseas, and then it ranks the best countries for expats based on quality of life, you know, access to education, healthcare, whatever else. Self-reported, reported, reported by those Self-reported by those people. Okay. Um, this year, which was interesting, which I don't think was the case last year, was that the UAE made the top 10. Only 11% of the people in UAE are Emiratis. So that means wow. the vast majority of people are from overseas. But if you ask an Emirati, they're not all expats. The expats are the ones who are working at banks and you know mm -hmm. other financial institutions. Maybe they're diplomats, whatever else. The vast majority of them are migrant laborers, you know, from South Asia and Southeast Asia mm -hmm. who are coming in, who I guarantee you were not called by HSBC for their opinions <laughs> on life in Dubai. So it, it shows that there is a delineation that happens, and I've heard it described as something about um, like a temporal aspect to it so that expats are people who are going somewhere but know that they're going to come home at some point move back home or that they're going to move somewhere else that there's just like a temporary posting which is why a lot of them fall into you know diplomats or working for multinational corporations or whatnot while immigrant or a migrant has more permanence to it that you're moving up and setting up shop elsewhere but even then it still runs into issues so 
I think we should just go forward just talking about like what it's like to be away from home. Because yeah. you want to fold them, fold the two of them together. See, but I would, I would, I think you're, you guys are making a very valid, interesting point. But I would also say that I would define an expat, truly, if I take away my lexical laziness, as someone who's retained the passport of the country that they're from but lives in another yes, one. Yes, who has an address in another country, who is being paid by a company in another country, and who is there for, what, three months? So, Can you be an expat three months, see, or is it... But the Bangladeshis who are working in the, on the skyscrapers in Dubai fall in that boat. And I don't think most people, including HSBC, would consider them expats. I agree, but I think I consider myself an expat until my British passport is gone. And I've been here almost 20 years, but I'm still not I'm not an immigrant because I didn't immigrate. Is this I, a, a mental resident. state? Is this a mental state? Is this something about your psyche? Does I don't, expat think, I don't think always. I mean, to Lali's point, which is spot on, it's, there's a certain privilege involved with it. And so, you know, a week ago I was at the Ausländerbehörde, which is just a really, really long German word with a lot of consonants, <laughs> and it kind of just means the visa you, office. You said it really well, though. <laughs> I can, yeah. The person in the room next to me was a guy from Syria, and I was there with my wife. You know, we came on, came on a, an Etihad flight and kind of stopped over in Tokyo, and this guy walked through seven countries to make it to Berlin, and there we are in the same room. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but feel like completely worlds apart from this guy who probably not an expat, and then, you know, just kind of glaring at me in the face, there's a certain privilege with me being there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see it at security checkpoints, too, in, like, Dubai International Airport, Abu Dhabi Airport, Doha, these places that, you know, you see a difference in the way that security treats the flight that comes in from Dhaka or Chennai than with the one that they, you know, they treat the passengers that are coming in from London Heathrow. So do you have to it's be very in, marked. in finance then? Like, could I be an artist or a writer or a freelance writer and still fall into this expat category? Traditionally, yes, absolutely. Like the, the traditional definition I think of that. Your, your life in Asia, when you lived in Asia, you were an expat in all the definitions we're giving. Right. And I definitely felt like I lived in an expat community. Yeah. I was surrounded by... People from, admittedly, lots of Western countries. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we're going to start there, but it was Australians, New Kiwis. Tell everyone, I mean, we know. Give us the potted version of your Asian moment. My Asian moment, which if you've listened to the podcast, (laughs) comes up a bit. I lived in Singapore for a little over a year, from 2007 to 2008. I was at Time Out Singapore while I was there. My husband got a job teaching for a year, so... We were based in Singapore, but kind of went all over Southeast Asia because anyone who's lived in Singapore knows or visited, it's the most convenient Southeast Asian country. Um, But we were surrounded by lots of people who were in this teaching program. And they were from America, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, um, Thailand, the Philippines. And then also Singapore is a very, very diverse place in Mm -hmm. general. It has the working language is English, but there are at least four other main languages, Malay, Tagalog, Mandarin Chinese. And I think the community we rolled in, though, there were a lot of people working in banks. I will give you that. And Singapore is a huge banking city, state anyway, right? And I think, I don't know if you felt the same way in uh, Indo, Seb. To an extent, but I, like, I grew up, for those who haven't heard me talk about it over and over again, I grew up in expat communities my whole life, like pretty much basically from when I was two years old until 17, bouncing between expat communities. And that's a whole other experience, too, because I was a child. So my world was the international school that I was in, which, you know, my school, for example, my high school, maybe 15% of the student body was Indonesian, and we were in Jakarta. 
And it's something that I look back on and it, it does kind of weird me out and brings me maybe even a little bit of shame that I was so separated from the local community and that we, you know, I went to my beautifully manicured international school every day and then hung out with my friends who were from all over the world um, and very privileged and very well off besides like a smattering of like rocker teenagers who are local that I met at shows, like I didn't have any local friends. Yeah, but shame and, your guilt. I mean, like every teenager is like that too, right? You go yeah. from work to school, you go school, home, sports practice, whatever. I mean, your your universe is small. Right. Yeah. And right. it is like your, and I think there is also a difference. There's a lot to be said about the place that you are an expat in. Yeah, that's exactly um, what I was just thinking. Because like I was, my it was basically my dad's work, you know, working first in like kind of big international companies and then on his own as a consultant jumping around Asia, that we were in these huge centers for expats. We were, you know, I grew up Hong Kong, Sydney, Delhi, Jakarta. See, I think that's, I think this is crucial and I think this intersects with what Lale was talking about, that a lot of the places that you think of expat communities Often they're former sort of colonial hubs like Hong Kong. So there's an uncomfortable kind of through line to you. And I, I always feel that as a white British person in Hong Kong. I'm like, I don't want to get mistaken for one of the failed in London's Try Hong Kong, the films. <laughs> because I'm like, no, no, I'm here to try the Chinese food. I don't want you just to clean my house. Um, and there's that. But I also think when you go to certain areas where there are so many expats, that's when you step into a bubble and you are sort of validating a lot of those cliches. I don't have very many British friends, no offense to Lolly. she's one of my few British friends in New York, and I don't have that many foreign friends either because that's not why I live here, but mm-hmm. it's, that's a different experience. And I was, Lim- oh, sorry, go ahead. I, know, I was just gonna say that I would say the same for me in New York at this point in that most of my friends are American. I have a few like core Brits <laughs> that when we just sort of need to be together, we gather and and complain Get about, drunk and complain. about how things work, yeah. but then it's not the same. And like, it's pretty I'm, much just like being in Britain. No, I'm like, I have, <laughs> wait, I have to pay Touché. for my healthcare here? Like, exactly. what? I would say, and I'm curious if any of the listeners, because I think that's a really insightful kind of expat moment, that you need the pressure valve of people who are from your culture to occasionally go, oh, why does this culture do it wrong? Okay, but let me rewind it for a second. We heard from Laura, we heard from Seb. Let's hear from the rest of you guys. Why did you originally end up in the place that you became an expat in? So, Elliot, why did you end up in Berlin? Um, ended up in Berlin, just my wife was wrapping up her master's degree and had the choice between Shanghai and Berlin. And uh, we pretty much rolled the dice. So, um, sold everything we owned, packed it into two USPS boxes and shipped it over. And kind of found a place to live about the day before we arrived. But, um, you know, I, I, in 100%, I would call myself an expat because the term to me connotates something temporary. Um, mm. Immigrant to me sort of implies a permanency and a, and a necessity that, that I would never use to personally consider myself. And, you know, we at some point we'll probably end up back home. And So you went for a limited period of time. Have you stayed beyond that limited period of time? Yeah, our initial window was about six months, and it's about a year and a half later. And, um, you know, we we had success at that Auslanderbehord, and we got another two-year visa. <laughs> and... Uh, I really hope the guy next to me did too. So maybe we come back to that because I want to talk about that situation where you went for one thing, you went for one period of time and you ended up staying and I want to talk about that for a second. But first, let's just finish going around. Lale, what was it that originally brought you here? Um, I had quite a few, some friends that were living here and I loved the idea of moving to New York and I just kind of came here and like spent a little bit of time here. And then- How old were you when you moved? um, You don't have to actually say, you could give a general. Like, I was in my... Early 20s. Early 20s. 
Um, no, and um, then I pulled the classic move and fell in love with an American. So now I'm still here. <laughs> Not classic Stop. enough as an American, I can say. <laughs> and, and the passport wasn't any allure. No, no, he's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that. He is very nice. <laughs> Mark, um, what brought you here originally? I, I, ran, I apologize to all our British listeners. I ran away from British people um, because... Um, you want to change seats? So yeah, you don't have to sorry. be next to Lally. <laughs> no, but I, my favorite British people are the ones who live in America. But if you ask, if you ask a, a British person how I, they say mustn't grumble. If you ask an American, they say, I'm good, how are you? And I just, I tend to start the morning quite happy. And as the lady in Starbucks the morning I got back to Britain last week said to me the moment I walked in, why are you smiling? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I live here. Okay. God's honest truth. I was okay. like, what? What is I'm just smiling? And she found it so suspicious and weird. I want to add one more anecdote about why you move somewhere. Yeah. Because I think it does speak to what we were talking about earlier about how the place can make a huge difference. Like you guys moved to New York, where one, you don't have the language barrier, right? Two, it's already such a cosmopolitan international city that like. You're not like, oh, where are my Brits? You know, like I need a taste of home. Um, but like, I, so much later in life as an adult, I lived in Botswana for a year and a half and it was a completely different experience. One, because there are, I mean, there's so few people full stop, but there's also so few expats in Botswana, especially, you know, young 20 something expats, which I was for a year and a half. Um, and it's a totally different experience going to a place like that because like, unless you want to hang out with the same six people, non-stop forever like you have to go out and meet some some people who live there who are from there or else you're going to go insane and so i feel like so much of it is circumstantial there isn't like a one-size-fits-all model for it so i'm going to represent my wife here for a second because that's my attachment to this whole topic right and she ended up in california for a combination of reasons some of which were professional so like wanting to actually study you know at berkeley but also had an attachment to the United States. And so there is this combination. You guys have a variety of reasons, work, but there's also something more, particularly with, I think, with you a little bit, Laura, in Asia. I think with you, Lale, coming here and Mark coming here, and maybe to some extent you too, Elliot, where there is something imaginative. There is something inspirational about the place that you're choosing to go. It's not purely a utilitarian, a utilitarian like thing. A, exactly. Yeah. Great word. There's something beyond that that you want to embrace. And it's and also, it goes back to the whole immigrant expat thing. It's also because you have the privilege to be able to make that decision, mm -hmm. right? To pick up sticks and Well, I remember when I, when I was having problems getting my green card initially, and I said to a friend of mine, this is so unfair. Like, if I was a refugee, I'd get a green card. And really easily, and my friend said, yeah, because you'd need it. You just want one. You know, check your assumptions. And she was totally right. Also, I these days, check your privilege. I don't know if that's yeah. true. But I, I also <laughs> would like to add that going through, like, the, the green card process is incredibly grueling and incredibly frustrating. And I say that from a point of great privilege. So the thought of going through it through a different avenue is incomprehensible to me. And I could go on a whole rant about it, but... What makes you think you shouldn't? I'm just gonna say that the immigration system here has a lot of checks and balances, and it doesn't need to be any tighter. How, how does it compare to that very long word you said, Elliot? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's, a, I mean, that is, uh, to, to Lali's point, I, I just cannot imagine being someone who's not in my shoes, who doesn't speak the language. I mm. mean, at, at the, at the Oslander board, there's actually a card there that has 
common phrases in about 12 different languages that are common to where refugees have been coming into Germany, and you point to them. So instead of me going in there and kind of sloppy German trying to explain why I'm worthy of a two-year visa, you have people who maybe walked here and are pretty tired trying to point and explain why they should be allowed in. Mm. Elliot, how it's, was your... It's totally far out. Before you, before you moved to Germany, how was your German? Uh, we. Oui. No, it was, it was really <laughs> consistent. Um, yeah, so I, before this, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time living in, in Italy, in rural Guatemala, and in other places, and this is kind of the first place where I've really had no idea whatsoever what I'm, what I'm doing with language. And it's, uh, it's incredibly frustrating, actually. It's, you know, you, you always feel like an outside guest in someone else's home, but such is being an expat. So because of that, do you find yourself, at least at first, where you, did you find yourself find, trying to like seek out other, you know, Americans or Brits or Australians or, you know, anyone you could communicate with? You kind of inevitably stumble into them. There, there's mm-hmm. so many here. Um, I mean, the thing about, about Berliners as well and Germans to a large extent is they all speak fluent English. Um, so you, you kind of stutter out a couple phrases in German and they just kind of... They're like, oh, I, 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 think I, I got you. It's all right. No more. Yeah. We're here. We're... yeah like, like, oh, that was cute. Okay, let me take it from here. <laughs> but do you consider... Because it's Elliot. I was just thinking about this. I remember my father said to me one time, I was talking about flying back to New York and I said, I'm just going, I'll be going home on Monday. And he said, that's the first time you've called New York home. And I've mm. been here a couple of years, not long. Do you consider Berlin home or is it temporary home? No, absolutely. It's, it's home. And that happened about probably six months after we got here. And I think it, it's, I think it really just has to do with kind of the, the social circle you meet mm. and the kind of support system you, you establish at a place. And for us, that's really been no Americans. And that's, you know, kind of the reason that we we came and everyone's expat or however you want to call it experience is different. But at least for me, it's, there's no real point kind of seeking out what you're used to in a foreign place that kind of defeats the purpose of, of going somewhere new. So uh, yeah, I mean, one of the wonderful things here is you just kind of, you have, you meet people from, from Mombasa, from New Zealand, from, from East Germany, and everyone kind of has a very strange and peculiar reason for being here, and I'm still trying to figure it out. I feel like you can have multiple homes, too. I, I don't oh, know if you guys feel this way. I, I feel like I have half a dozen homes, at least. It's every place I've lived. Me too. But I, I don't think that I necessarily feel that way if I'm somewhere for a month, right? So it's like we were talking about the, the distinction between um, being an expat and being a traveler. Like, where do you draw the line? At what point do you feel like you make that shift? I think work, life, or education I think work, is I think, a huge I think part of it. Work yeah, or work. an education, you know, a nine to five. Joining commitment. some sort of institution, yeah. It's having a sense of routine, yeah. like a, totally. a yeah. daily routine. This is why I hate the like a local thing that happens when everybody talks about in the travel world these days. Is because until you get up for work right. or yeah. school, fine if you're Have a student. Have to commute that's at nine a.m. Get your whatever. ass on a subway or a yeah. bus or whatever it is. Go to the grocery store on Monday night. Buy the fucking groceries on your way home from that job. And you do that. You're not living like a local. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, but until just because you, you went up, to the restaurant, yeah. you're not living like a local. Well, you have to be immersed in the culture. Until you wake up and you're like, God damn it, it's fucking Monday. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. Not like, oh, this is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I think until it's midwinter, snowing, 
awful in New York and you just scream, I hate this fucking city. <laughs> like, that's this, when you live here. Is this here? a specific no, incident? No, yeah, this, this it feels is. raw. This feels very Everyone. raw. It happens, it happens every year on February 12th. I think this yeah. is particularly difficult for Europeans, uh, in my experience. Like, my winter will be approximately 115 days of somebody waking up next to me and going, I hate this fucking city. And by the way, this fucking country sucks too. <laughs> Just, is that a good way to wake up? Do you think maybe you could give your wife I, I, an espresso? I, I, yeah, with your exactly. smiling. <laughs> with your, you should see her in the summer, though. With you your like. smiling. <laughs> Um, I could wake up with your smile. You know, that would be great. Um, I don't think your wife would like if I joined you that. <laughs> but that um, would be very cheerful. <laughs> Hi! <laughs> How are you? Do you know, but it's funny, when we talk about the, the time frame, when I first moved to New York, I made a great friend who, I was sitting on a park bench, and a guy had a really cool new computer, and I started talking to him. And my lovely friend, Neil Greer, lived in Shanghai. And I've gone to visit him in Shanghai. Hello, Neil. He does listen to this. Um, and he now lives in Germany. And he'd lived all over the world for as a banker. And he said to me, you've been in New York a year. He said, if you don't love a place, you'll stay just over a year. And I he totally said, agree with that. And he said, mm -hmm. if you like it, you'll stay a couple of years. And then if you get past two years, you will hit five. And at five, you will have an existential crisis of... Oh, uh, if I don't, if I don't go back, uh, it's really funny you say that because I, the max, you know, I moved around my whole life. The maximum time we stayed in a place was five years. Yes, okay. <laughs> and then he said this, so I'm curious if anyone listening has it. And at five years in New York, I had exactly his. Yeah. What do I do? What do I? And I'm curious if listeners, if this is a sort of unspoken truism, and you guys, I mean, Molly, uh, five years. What's your? Did you have a five year moment? I haven't had my crisis yet. Oh, you're not there it, yet. No, I am sort of. I'm right yeah, on there. The verge. You're approaching. She's like, now that you mention it, <laughs> like, the yeah. fuck am I doing here? It's the winter. I'm also coming up for 30, so I'm going to have that crisis. It's all coming together Just in one blends go. blends together. Yeah. I, I had a four-year crisis. I, I have never stayed anywhere longer than four years. I'm coming up on my four years in New York. Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. But no, I think I absolutely agree that um, if you are not... I think it takes six months to really get used to a place or to a new job. Just kind of what starting. Elliot was speaking to. Yeah. 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 And then after six months, you hit the year mark. You're like, okay, do I double down or do I get up? And one year, you can do anything for a year. I'm at a point where maybe I can say I could do anything for two years if I moved abroad again, maybe like Sydney for two years. But it always feels like it has an expiration date because of the distance. I don't think I could go that far for a really long time if unless I wanted to just like not see my friends and family for years but then four years move like clockwork so you know it's an interesting point because uh, we're all talking as if like moving you know picking up sticks and moving halfway around the world is just like a breeze right like nothing to really worry about if you're having the crisis then just like I don't know just move somewhere but there's a lot of people probably people including people who are listening to this podcast who travel plenty who travel the world but also would have trouble with the idea of, you know, picking up their roots and moving somewhere else. So I guess I think that's an important point to address. I mean, what did you guys feel? Well, I, think I, I had no choice growing up, but like, what did you guys feel? But like oh, the anxiety jarring. around it. I feel like the first time, maybe you have to get over that hurdle. The first time can be really jarring or is the first, no, Mark's making this awesome was this? face yeah. at me. But what? did you guys move a lot as kids? No. No, I was in London the whole time. Then Same I went house. up to Scotland for university, went back to London. Then went to New York. And you too. You were pretty stable. Like, Laura, yeah. you, were pretty, you were pretty stable, right? Well, I just got New Jersey if, if, for like 20 years. If I, I moved constantly as a kid. Mm. Constantly. Yeah. 
But I've never actually done the abroad thing. I mean, for you, Elliot, when, when your partner said, hey, I've got this choice, but either way, we're moving pretty far away. I mean, did you have any anxiety from that? Oh, I was itching to go, actually. Uh, that kind of four You're a travel writer. Existent- so. yeah. <laughs> well, that, that existential crisis hit me in uh, about six years before we left. So we were we were living in Washington, D.C., where we're both from. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was itching to go kind of years ago. So it was, for me, it was a total blessing. Mm. And, you know, in terms of how hard it is, there's, there's a little known secret, especially in the city of Berlin, where, you know, even if my partner didn't have kind of the student visa, it's actually the easiest city in all of the EU for an American citizen to get into because they have this thing called a freelance visa. Mm. And it's a uh, little known secret, but super easy to get Good in. To know. And, See you yeah, guys. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Seb's actually seeing a, seeing a couple Googling weeks. this right now. <laughs> Seb's last podcast. But, but, but I think this goes back to, to the, this notion of transition, right? Because we've talked about these different stages that you go through. And I'm curious about, I want to go back to this notion of community and talk to you guys about during these transitional phases, during this evolution, how did your sense of community you know, evolve, did you find yourself reaching moments where you did feel homesick, where you did feel like you wanted to reach out to people? I felt like when I got to America the first time, and I lived in Chicago before New York, I felt like I had found home. I wasn't homesick. I was relieved that it was like, it was like when you discover you're adopted and you're like, oh, my real family's amazing. And that was... I know, was, I know exactly so what that cruel feels. to adopt parents. <laughs> no, no, but I'm, but I'm saying, you know, imagine it's sort of you just, you've had this kind of unhappy childhood and then you are like a fairy tale. You discover that your parents are... You the know, Kardashians. Yeah, whatever it is. That's and I, terrible. That's a fairy tale? That would be very stressful. <laughs> exactly. No, but I, found, I actually found moving to America, I was relieved that I actually belonged somewhere because I'd never felt like I belonged in Britain. So you got like, to choose that place you got to choose home while sometimes i, I mean said you were i don't want to totally belittle that a little because i feel exactly the same way and i feel like it's something that you have to orchestrate just as you i don't know how if you orchestrate the living abroad thing i know plenty of people who have but i feel exactly the same way in a different way like new york i felt yeah. that way in new york new york is my home even though i did not grow up here we're, but, we're also human beings and we're also going to try to find some semblance of home or community wherever we are yeah, and absolutely. i think that's i mean i had no absolutely. choice but i still Years later, I still think of Jakarta, Indonesia, kind of like home because it was like such formative years, and it was forced upon me. It was like but, this is but your that home. Notion of, I, that, you that notion of community for like when we were in San Francisco, there was a group of Italians that were very, very tight knit, right? Like, and they ate together. They had all they not did not work together. They all had different jobs, but many of them had sort of multinational companies, HP or whatever. The Bay Area has got lots of tech companies. So, but this sense of um, all of them had left Italy intentionally to back to this notion of privilege but also like impulse right they had the choice to do it they wanted to get away italy is a particular economy it means certain things when you stay there they had all left but they also all sought each other out in order to develop this sense of community and and belonging and commonality in mm. the midst of being uh, being in this foreign place that they'd chosen and i think that's kind of unique in this expat sense you know right? what though totally. i would say you don't have to go abroad to do that though this I, is, when i moved to seattle yes. i was in an expat community of east coasters mm-hmm. that People was exactly that, very interesting I, yeah. when brad just said that i was going to say and i'm curious if listeners agree with this can you be an expat within your own country very Absolutely. interesting very I, I felt so. I, it took well, me... you can be a traveler in your own country. So exactly. Why, yeah. so, why not? so you yeah. felt 
felt that in, in when you went to the West Coast? Especially a country 100%. this big and diverse. Yeah. Right, you think about it. I mean, there are few countries this big, and yeah. you, there are very distinct cultures all over America, right? From the Northeast to the South to the Northwest, which for me was um, a different style of communicating, and I found that I was drawn to... <laughs> can, we, can we talk about Go that? Go on. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, look, we're in the communication business, and I'm born and bred in New Jersey and you know we are direct we make eye contact a lot like aggressive eye contact <laughs> right I'm looking at all of you right now and that was unnerving for some of my Seattle friends I think especially in the beginning as they were getting to know me it was too direct it was rude direct which we've all heard like the New York lifestyle can be a little some people see it as rude so I truly those people are wrong (laughs) well I agree right so I truly yeah fuck those people (laughs) (laughs) your mom said to stop cursing on the podcast (laughs) we're so sorry Seb's mom we've tried (laughs) I don't know though and for a very long time I had my closest group I had a great group of Seattle friends but it took longer to develop that it took years to develop that and in the beginning I only hung out with East Coasters Elliot in Berlin what's your tribe who are the folks that you hang out with Oof. Um, pretty national uh, mainly lots of Berliners it's funny we live in a neighborhood that's actually 90% Turkish and I think it was to your point Brad um, you know just like who do you gravitate towards once you go to another country and I think that whether it's expat or immigrant you you know, whether it's a little Italy or kind of a Chinatown or whatever, uh, people of the same tribe tend to hang out together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think it's limited to expats. Well, was, I'm curious. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, in New York, most of my friends, they might be American, but they're not from New York because no one's from New York. I was going to say, but when yeah. we right. find like, real New Yorkers, we're like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> well, I'm curious how... And they've ha- never left, too, by the way. Real New Yorkers, if they go, they go for a year and they come back and this... There's no other yeah. city. And the other funny thing is, is I feel like in terms of my sort of circle of friends who are Brits that are here, we're the ones that are like still here. There, there was more of us and they did the year or the two years and then they left. The quitters. And, and, yeah, the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's just us. Or the unhappy. <laughs> sure. Do you, no, but, but this but is I, interesting. Is it like this survivor's is, guilt that you're feeling? Or? I, mean, I think I'm just baffled by anyone that doesn't love New York because I just think it's the most magical, wonderful place in the world and... I buy into like every cliche about New York and I love it and I guess that's why Except I'm still in the winter. here. Except in the winter. I mean, it's terrible. I have a question for, I mean, I guess this is for Elliot and maybe you, Lali, because I'm not sure what exactly your circumstances were when you moved here, but for a lot of people, expats and I think immigrants too, the communities you form, the friends you make, the connections you make, a lot of it depends, at least in my experience, was on like we were saying, like the institutions that already exist, the, the school or your work. In Botswana, it was my work. Growing up, it was school. Even for my parents, it was either like my parents' work or families connected to the school I was in or, or whatever else. For you, Elliot, you're a freelancer who just picked up and moved to Berlin. Like, how did you do it? And Lali, I'm not sure like what kind of support systems you had when you first moved here. Yeah, I actually knew no one here. You know, it was kind of a lot of trial and error. Um, I guess it's not dissimilar from like the first year of uni or, or college, where mm. it's, you kind of just meet people and you you kind of. Elliot, you just follow. said uni. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, an well, expat. That was, that was you the, you the are a Brits. Berliner now. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
just wanted to make sure Lala and, and uh, the group obviously have understand. some English friends. <laughs> <laughs> we can. But tell, you know, you, you, you fall into groups, and then you maybe discover someone in college likes Nickelback, and you kind of get out of that group. And you, <laughs> you go somewhere else, and I went through that period. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of trial. But and it's error. but and, Ellie, uh, you say that you say that now. It's I have a friend who who's been on this podcast and who works with us sometimes, Andrew Sessa, and he moved to Rome because his husband got a job in Rome and it was a great opportunity and like you he's a travel writer but again like you he was working from home as a freelancer and he found it much harder because you are basically going up to people at university in Freshers Week everyone is saying hello will you be my friend everyone's a new kid yeah but you're the new kid saying to people hi can i can i, I join, join your, your group can i join yeah. your hang with you guys <laughs> and you don't have that structure and i remember andrew talked about it and he said he was traveling enough and brian wasn't traveling so at least you know in the evenings they were together but he found it much harder than i think he expected andrew needs to write about this for us he does well just well, making friends when you're a little when you're not right in college or uni is harder, right? I mean, yeah, as in a, in yeah. New York, I haven't made any new friends in years. Besides, <laughs> yeah. through, like, besides through work I'm or like maybe you know, other institutions. I mean, I think the through line there is you, Seb. <laughs> <laughs> it's also just kind of the you know the the awkward fumbling of, of make, making friends as an adult. You know, you go to a bar, you meet someone. And you definitely want to hang out, and you just kind of second guess, like, do I reach out to them on LinkedIn, or how does this work exactly? <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> Can I be your connection, please? That, that I, would be I very weird. Um, no, I was lucky enough that I had some friends from uni who were living here, so they were sort of my in to some sort of social circle. But when, after Chris and I got married, and there was a time where I was waiting for my papers to process and I wasn't allowed to work, he would go off to work every day, and I would just be left to my own devices. And it's it's very lonely if you're the person who's the foreigner who, Absolutely. who doesn't have a job and hasn't like found their their place yet. And do you, do you think that that's harder for Europeans and other people who come from cultures where work is not the primary vector of social activity? Oh, that's interesting. I do because I do find like yeah. no, I, I, this was a common complaint amongst the Europeans that I've known um, is that Americans like the first thing they would say to each other is what do you do and mm -hmm. Europeans mm -hmm. do not do that do not at do least that. like in the experience that I What I've is had. the first thing they say? Not to derail you but what social class are you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> or apparently, why are, why are you smiling so yeah. much? Exactly. In Britain, yeah. No, Remain or leave. Don't, don't, don't. If they're Italian <laughs> in, you, in the United States, What did you eat like, last? Well, like, how horrible is the cappuccino, like, wherever you got your cappuccino? Do we really have to deal with that? I don't know. But, I, I mean, I just think, like, here so much is defined, and God knows in New York, you know, work is the thing. And, and so I'm much. curious of listeners, because I think we perceive it that way. I'm curious if people who listen outside the US think that's true, or if you're listening to this in, an, in another culture, are you asking everyone, what do you do first? Are, are we kind of unfairly denigrating that American instinct? But it's or, or it's rude in some cultures. In I, Asia, it's absolutely, yeah. you don't, but you do ask, like, are you sick? Or like, there's some is very- your family <laughs> right. is your right. family How was yeah. your, yeah, how was your day? Very or, personal questions. Are you single? Come, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, um, family unit questions. We have apps for that, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think with, I, I, from, from my experience, I think in the UK, 
I think one of the first questions you usually do ask is what do you do? Because you don't want any awkward silences. <laughs> She'll <laughs> ask anything so that as long as there's no like, quiet. Make this end. Um, but so, and, and, and it is that thing, like I said earlier, about having a sense of routine and that's what makes you feel like you live in a place. It's like somewhere you go every day and there's um, a purpose to you being there. Um, but I think the difference is, is, you know, Brits talk about work probably just as much suffering for work isn't so much a point of pride mm. for us mm. like we don't boast about the fact that we didn't take any vacation days you're not pure you don't have puritan heritage yeah. <laughs> that is true sorry dude <laughs> but may i may i i, I want to give a shout out to australia here because i've been in new york for a long time and the only time as a british passport holder the uk has ever activated this enormous network of british passport holders you still have your passport yeah? oh yeah. yes of course um, is <laughs> there are some places you have to have it? No, but in in the wake of nine eleven, I I I read online that I had to check in with the British consulate because I would be one of the people they were ensuring was still alive. So sure, you know that's a thing. That is the only time the British consulate has leveraged the potential expat network, whereas the Australian consulate throws endless parties to which I've been, and I'm not even Australian, and. Basically, corrals. What are you? Thank you, Brad. I, that's what my <laughs> and, mom told and, me. And smiling. Um, yeah, I'm smiling. No, but you know the Australian consulate, and that's the other thing. When I think about expat networks, one of the things that makes it easier for Australians to make friends in New York is that the consulate tries to bring them together. So. It, if you wouldn't be in Berlin on your own, there would be an Australian party to go to, and everyone knows you're one of the expats. Okay. I, I saw that in San Francisco with the Italian community. Again, sorry to keep coming back to that, but that's the one that I was part of. But it was more privatized, right? Like, So there were schools that people took language courses or taught language courses at. There were clubs that people belonged to, whatever. It wasn't, you know, God knows the Italian embassy or consulate is not getting its shit together enough to, like, <laughs> have, a mailing, having, <laughs> have a mailing, having have a mailing list. But the the Italians themselves, those intrepid ones who had left the country and come here, would find privatized ways of doing exactly that same, institutionalizing the connection. I guess is is a way of putting that. I feel like Australians are very uniquely position though i think i mean more than anyone i Key, kiwis in australia i would say that yeah. kiwis and australians have an expat mentality baked in dna like, straight i mean like, i think it's straight up yeah, yeah. well like you said position like mm -hmm. physically literally mm -hmm. like yeah, you're, the you're middle of fucking nowhere <laughs> right. like really far away from everything so as a consequence they are on the road all, all the, the time, time. Yeah. like it, but from a very early age the gap year mentality yeah. or like program i knew so Walk many about. australians who did yeah, well, that has lots of connotations. That's a whole other podcast. But I feel like the Australia, well, I don't know. I was in Australia on 9-11, actually, and I found that they were also very organized. I don't know. It's There aren't that. Well, but I'm, I'm just saying I think you're pointing out that there are some nations where expat mentalities are actually quite mainstream. I think, you know. New Zealand has a problem with brain drain because if you're a kid with any potential, there is a tacit sense that you spend your 20s abroad because why would you stay here? Which is a real challenge for like my Kiwi friends in New York. I have a, my friend Jacob is a Kiwi and he stayed here and he almost feels guilty that he didn't do what you're supposed to do, which is you go back because you learn things and then bring them back when you're 40. Australia and New Zealand are different, and I'm, I'd love to hear from some listeners who are Kiwis or expat Aussies because I do think they have a psychographic that's very different. And there's an overlap again between the whole like picking up sticks and moving and traveling in the sense that 
At least when I was like traveling in sub-Saharan Africa, couldn't go anywhere without running into an Australian or a New Zealander. And most of them had done kind of, again, relating to what we were talking about, the approach to work and, and whatever. They had like done the whole like I haven't taken a vacation in, in a year thing for like three years, saved up all their money. And then they, you know, they're asking me, like, how long have you been traveling through Malawi? And I'm like, four days. I was like, how about you? Six months. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like... That's so true. Wait, wait, wait. Elliot, how many Australian friends do you have in Berlin? Oh, man, way too many. They're, they're <laughs> everywhere here. The infestation. Yeah, they're, they're entire tribes that just kind of kind of roll together. That's so interesting. Let me ask a different kind of question. Are there types of cities or types of places that are particularly ripe for expat communities? And if so, what are the characteristics that make a place conducive to you? It's funny you say that. So there are a lot of cities now in, in Eastern Europe that are trying to market themselves for, and I really hate this term, but digital nomads. Mm. So places mm. like, like Sofia, um, places like mm. Serbia are basically coming together and trying to let people know. They're, they're putting kind of, kind of being the Delaware for oh. countries <laughs> of, of taxes. You do not so, want. Like, you do not want to be the Delaware what, like, of anything, man. Are like the yeah, eight Delaware? Yeah. No, but I get it, and it speaks. Upset. It speaks to how expats are changing too. That like not exactly. everyone's going to work for. Unpack you know, that. Say what you mean. I mean that like they're not going to be. Not every expat's going to be working for some giant multinational corporation. In fact, most of them are going to be. I don't know, like. Elliot, like who are can be anywhere and work. That's well, super what interesting, doing. Yeah. right? Like the model yeah, is I mean, shifting. Like I feel like there. I wanted to go back to this too, where I feel like there's this legacy of this, and this is part of the grand tour kind of legacy, right? Like where artists, writers, you know, people who are untethered to any kind of corporate life, right, were expats back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, and then and now I feel like in my uh, peer set, most of the people I know who are expats work for some giant multinational company or the service organization yeah, for a changing. multinational company. I mean, I mean what, what, logistically, what, like, visas are difficult to come by. You yeah. can't stay somewhere unless you're backed by a big multinational corporation. Yeah. Right, but now you but have this... This uh, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, this kind of thing where like this notion of being tethered to either... It, like, Forget about a desk, like a job, a company, right, Like, is exploding and people have a, a sort of more... <laughs> Let me ask a question because I think I think the idea that being an expat is going to be commoner with cities marketing themselves and saying come here, you know, th this is the this is the nexus of some a real political flashpoint. If we looked at what happened in Austria this week with an, a, a sort of a big strong extreme white right wing viewpoint, which is there is a sort of anti globalization, anti borderless movement. Do you think you know, it includes those people, though? But this is, and this is what I was going to ask. Yeah. What, how do you think that plays into this idea of expats? And does that get back to Lale's point of are expats not the people who feel threatening and/or kind of overwhelming? Are they the welcome immigrants? Right. Well, I think it's a. There's. A, yeah. the, oh, Elliot, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's just the the difference between choice and not having a choice, right? I mean, the whole anti-globalization thing scares me, but we're also sitting at a table of travel editors, so I get that. I'm in my peer group right now, but I, I just, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, whether we contract and go back in and contract and go back in, and if we are going to become borderless and then we'll rein in on the borders a little bit, but then it'll go back out. It's all fluid, right? At the end of the day, and maybe digital nomad is just like a one response to anti-globalization? I, I don't know. But I would ask exactly. this too. I mean, like, uh, I would say, I would say, I'm not sure you can have one without the other, right? And we live in New York. We know this. 
what is the, what would the restaurant scene in New York City be like? And, and I, we could it ask the same thing. Exist. It wouldn't exist. Without immigrant labor, exist. right? Well, without be, all those mm-hmm. all those expats from Pueblo, you know, who work in the restaurants here. How about here? the bodega I'm, that's just right at your corner yeah. when you want to, you know? But, but surely you don't the mean the app on my phone. <laughs> I just I want to let I want to let Elliot. What we use, Elliot? What's your perspective on this? Because I don't I don't want to fall down I don't want to fall down a sort of K hole of 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 a uh, K hole. <laughs> Dating yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to fall down. Speaking of uni. Elliot, what were you going to say? Because I, I do, I, I don't just mean this about sort of America. I mean that the sense that borders and the, and the question around borders is very charged. And this is something which goes against, cuts across that warp and waft. What do you think, Elliot? Well, it's all about who you're trying to welcome in. So, I mean, Austria is not drawing a line in the sand against, you know, the Australian coder who's been not skipping a day of work for three years and saved up their vacation time. But, and it's the same with, with the New York City restaurant scene. I mean, there, there's kind of who you're inviting in and who you're saying, this is going to be a tax-free zone and you don't need a visa to come work here um, as, a, as a digital nomad or whatever. But on the, on the flip side, if you're someone who maybe is coming to work out of necessity and you probably don't consider yourself an expat but more of an immigrant – that's when I think that you have kind of right-wing governments just maybe a little bit more uneasy and trying to draw some more borders. And you get into a really dangerous and pretty pretty sick uh, slope there. Well, yeah. I, but I think you also have something in between, which is someone who's not moving out of necessity. They're not fleeing something. They're not forced to move, but they're looking for something better or something different. And they're being deprived of those opportunities as well. Absolutely. That's where the line gets really, really yeah, slippery, absolutely. right? Like that, how many people came to the United States, and not to get all, you know, whatever about this, but how many people came for exactly that reason? That they could have stayed where they were, they weren't forced out, they weren't politically sort of persecuted or whatever, but the economic opportunities, I mean, I think this happens even now, even in professional class, you know, educated people. Like they, not not to sort of bring it all back to them, but leave a place because the opportunity is just bigger or more. Yeah. One of the headlines that's not being talked about quite as much here, and and sorry to keep coming back to it, but just close to home is the African migrants coming to Germany have been completely left out. And, you know, in in the wake of kind of the Middle Eastern migrants coming in in, since 2015. And so it's actually much harder for someone who's coming from from sub-Saharan Africa who might have been able to come to the EU much easier several years ago than it is now. And so those guys are just, you know, maybe not fleeing a civil war, but trying to look for a better economic opportunity and the doors being shut on them. Mm-hmm. Let me ask a, maybe a, a closing question here that gets at, it doesn't have to be, but, but maybe gets at, you know, a commonality that stretches across this, which is what are the challenges that you face when you are a member of one of these communities where you're not at home, but uh, you're not completely locked into the place that you, you're not native to the place that you're living. We didn't talk about culture shock at all. We talked a little bit about it before this conversation started, but I had a book, a full-blown guidebook to Singapore culture shock. And I feel like you might not necessarily get that when you travel. I, I was trying to remember a time when I went somewhere for a week and I was just like blown away by not feeling like I fit in and it didn't happen. I, I had to settle in and feel the nuances you know and i think that's what drives culture shock i i don't know have you guys felt that before i think i have for sure but i think for me the kind of underlying thing that i learned kind of being in new places was and that i still kind of put towards travel today was that like humility is huge 
not going into a place thinking that your way is right that's or that great, you even that's have a very like, very good piece of or, advice or that, about like, moving somewhere yeah. like or you even have any idea how shit works it's more like this isn't my turf like i'm just going to sit back and be quiet and watch and adapt accordingly because i can't make the rules here and i think that's a huge that opens up a lot once you've moved somewhere because it just gives puts a lot less pressure on like i need to be ready to react and you know react to every stimuli and be ready to talk to every person and more just like let me just like sit let me just say i don't know when someone asks me a question because you don't know because there's no you have no way of knowing you've been there for three days and you're about to spend two years there you know so i think that that at least for me is an underlying thing that can speak to a lot of things including culture shock I, I completely agree. I mean, just kind of learning to listen first, and it's it's almost like starting a job, right? You mm-hmm. kind of you just absorb as much as you can, and you sit back and wait for your turn. But um, listening and showing interest and showing showing empathy toward everyone around you is kind of something that I've found time and again to be kind of the most valuable piece of of advice. The hardest thing I've found is having to fake a smile when someone impersonates my British accent for the 4,335th time. And I actually called someone out on it recently and they got, they did not go down well. No, I say, I say we don't do the accent because it is one of those moments when you're like, I know you're trying to be nice, but truly, do you think you are the first person? I don't think they're trying to be nice. I think they're trying to show off. Do you? Do you? Yeah, I don't think it's coming from like a what, place like their of mimicry skills. Like I just think they they're doing I know it because they from want. England yeah, sound like, like they want to be funny, and it it's not funny. It's really boring. Yes, I have to say that <laughs> the Brazilians who are no strangers to expatriatism and immigration have this notion of saudades, right? Which is this feeling of longing and sadness kind of blended together. We don't have an English word for it, but. I'm curious whether you guys, as former expats, whatever, or, or current expats, whether that's ever been, every year, you know, we're coming up on, it's the fall, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. Every year we do a piece that's basically like, how to have a Thanksgiving if you're an expat, you know, like where you get the hotels you can go and get your turkey at, you know, whatever. <laughs> have you guys ever, ever, you know, in your expat life, had those moments where you just sort of you needed to reach out and get the I don't know British thing. You mean well, when I brought you? My, I was going to say, my favorite thing at Thanksgiving is when Americans ask me how my family's celebrating, and I have to say, <laughs> "Who are you hanging out with, dude?" <laughs> They're not. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, as Mark was about to say, I did send him a little shopping list to bring back. Because I was loose recently in Britain, and I brought him in Mason. What? No, no, it was amazing. What did I bring you, Lolly? Marmite and a copy of Grazia, my favorite gossip magazine. <laughs> That's so sweet. I used to um, spend ten dollars just to buy cheese in Singapore. Mm. Really? I, a block of cheese. I, I mean, maybe like American in New York. cheese? No, just like cheddar. Like, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe it was Wisconsin you know, cheddar. And I, think I that's, don't know. That's something we haven't touched on. And I, it's, I think food is one of the most anchoring. What you have grown up eating, wherever you grew up, is very, very anchoring. So whether it's marmite or cheese or whatever, that is when the one thing that even I haven't sloughed off is I have weird British food in my suitcase every time I go. And oh, every time I come back, and and that is a little bit of Britishness. Do you want us to send I, you some Twinkies, Elliot? <laughs> yeah. What What do you miss? Oh man, 
I, I never thought you that I'd miss American Twinkies? food before coming to Germany. <laughs> what about Nathan's hot dogs? Clearly, <laughs> I have no idea anything about this country. Exactly. None of these Still are good expat. options. Bagels. Okay, Elliot, what do you what do you miss? Food wise? Yeah. Or oh, anything. Or do you have a um, gossip mag that you need? Do you secretly <laughs> listen to like internet baseball or you you listening to the Nats in the playoffs? Um, actually, uh, U.S. movies is kind of the one thing that I miss. Everything here is is dubbed over, which makes it tricky. I, That's true. Yeah. When I'm alone in my apartment, I stream EastEnders on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Twin Peaks in German is not quite the same. <laughs> this is turning into like Expats Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does. I feel like quite ashamed at the end. <laughs> I would. I can I. But don't any, you feel like any British? I mean, this is what I'm getting at. Is like any British person is going to go like, yes. No, I, I think do some that. of them would judge me. Okay. <laughs> I'm slightly judgy. No, but the thing is that I could. If anyone That's from the just BBC, them being British. If anyone from that, is that true. makes it a more British moment. <laughs> if anyone from the BBC is listening, the BBC does allow almost any country in the world to pay five dollars. They call it five dollars a month for BBC iPlayer and essentially support the BBC. But because we have BBC America, Lala has to look for EastEnders on YouTube because we're not allowed to pay for the BBC. And there's some loser that uploads it every night and then there's like a window where you can catch it before it disappears. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, she's streaming. She's streaming off iPlayer. I mean, I've had Brazilian friends who who were living in San Francisco and who desperately sought out the 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 telenovelas, the or whatever the Brazilian word is for that. You know, because they're they're ubiquitous there and they it's a taste of home that they couldn't get. And I think one of the things that I've sort of found myself struggling it with over the past few years is when I go home to London now, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you left us, you don't live here anymore. But when I'm in America, people still see me as from London and you are being a foreigner. And it, you're in this sort of really strange limbo where whether you're in your your home or your new home, no one quite thinks you belong you don't there. Belong in. And I would encourage anyone who hasn't read Seb's amazing story about kind of being trapped between cultures. I think that sums up that interesting mindset. And I, you know, please, you should all read that. It was, it was an amazing story. What was it? What, what was third the culture kids? Third culture kids, right? Yeah. Thanks for the plug, Mark. No, no, I thought it was. No, it is a very... really, it is a really good piece, and it directly touches on a lot of these themes. As great as it is, and as privileged as you are to exist in these multiple cultural spaces, you are, in a sense, homeless. And I, I don't say that in a bad way, but it can be, and Seb, your piece kind of gets at this, mm. and we've talked about this a lot because I have a different version of this in within the United right. States. Like, you don't have a strong sense of rootedness or community, and you go here and you people think you're a foreign person for whatever reason. You left, you abandoned them, whatever. Poor British people. Um, they're about to abandon Europe, so they get to... Yeah, I might not go back yeah. once that happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and here you have a British accent, so every time you open your mouth, it's sort of evident that you theoretically don't belong here. In places like New York, that's a little bit easier but to handle. Do we have British accents? Because I think some British people would listen to both of us and would pick up on little She's more nuances. proper than you. I wouldn't say that, but um, I think we... She would. The, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> she's looking so... No, but the but I do think that's another way of not belonging, that to Americans we sound British and to British people we sound American. Yeah. Well, the fact that here, sort of, I was going to a shop and be buying someone and someone's like, oh, are you on holiday? Or are yeah. you on vacation? And I'm like, no, I, I live here. Like, I, I, I don't know. And I'm just like, it's such a weird conversation to have when you're just like out on a Saturday, <laughs> not thinking just about... Some milk. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's very strange. That's the state. If mm -hmm. we're going to leave it somewhere, 
that's the state. You're in between worlds. It's wonderful. It's privileged. And it's also challenging. Okay. Uh, Elliot, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to all of you guys for coming and sharing your stories here. This is a really, really interesting topic to me. Um, I hope it is to the listeners as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And by the way, let me be Mark for a moment. Please tweet us your own stories about this because I really do think there is a tremendous variety of experiences that people have in this. I think more and more people are having one version of this or another around the world. And I, and I think this is a really interesting topic, this notion of being between cultures and sort of existing temporarily in a space. I think our world is just headed in this direction, and I think it's very, very interesting and a rich topic for all of us. Do subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. This week in particular, let me put in a plug for our Reader's Choice Awards. This is your moment on our website. It is the biggest moment of the year for us. We've spent months accruing this data, and we've spent months, and Lale has been one of the heroes of this, as as have Seb and Laura, of pulling together our readers and our users input on travel around the world. So go to the site this week and you will certainly see all of what our readers think have been the most amazing travel experiences around the world in the last year. Including the best cities in the world, which maybe give you an idea of a new yeah, temporary new home. home. New that was temporary a good one. See how I did that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well done. But yeah, cities, islands, hotels. What have we got here, guys? Like we have everything. Airports. Airports, airlines, cruises, everything in the travel space. And most importantly, and I think it is lovely, it is generated by our audience, by you guys. And it's really interesting to us to get that feedback. And it shapes a lot of what we do. Absolutely. This tells us what you are doing and how you feel about it. And it's a really great cycle that we go through. So check that out. And by the way, we will do another survey starting in the spring of next year. So stay tuned for that. We want to hear from you. And the results come out this month. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube, CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Please do tweet at us. Many of you have been doing that. It's where this podcast came from. It's where future podcasts will come from. It could be your idea. Make sure that when you send it, that you send it to Oh Hey There Mayor. <laughs> She's because not if even you here. don't, we're She's all she, we're all gonna suffer. But uh, seriously, uh, Mark, Meredith, and Seb do produce the podcast. We all sort of get together and talk about that. So tweet at any of us and let us know what you'd like to hear about um, because we would love to hear from you and get your ideas. And thank you, GSE Photography, who did tweet specifically this week at Meredith to say, I knew who I had to tweet at. You told me it was you. And so well done for following direction. (laughs) And we're here to represent that. Um, So have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks to all of you for listening in. 